Today's guest is Tate Hackert, president and founder of Zayzoon. Zayzoon is creating a financial empowerment platform that helps HR teams make a big impact on employee financial wellness. Tate joins us now to discuss his own personal inspiration behind Zayzoon and how he helped to build the platform into what it is today. Welcome, Tate. Hey, what's going on, Alex? Not much. How are you doing? Good, man. Yeah, really good. Weather, weather started to turn a little bit in Calgary here, so I had to wear the puffer jacket into work today. Okay. So turn meaning it's getting colder because I thought it was already snowing there for a while. I mean, man, it, it snows here all year round <laughs> in a given day. But no, it's actually been beautiful. It's been beautiful. We had a little bit of snow early on in the winter, but we're good now. Excellent. So let's go take you back to the time before you were in Calgary. You know, in your early years, you know, you had experience in private sales.hk. Um, tell us what that was and what did that what did you take from those early years that impacted how you operate today? Yeah, yeah. So Pr Private Sales HK was a, a online retailer um, e-commerce play in, out of Hong Kong. Uh, super, super small, scrappy startup. Uh, and and kind of how that came to be. I, I attended the University of Victoria. So originally, yeah. um, I'm from Vancouver Island. I uh, attended the University of Victoria and went to Hong Kong on what was like a, a exchange program, I guess, for a semester. And it was it was interesting because I was unlike most of the exchange students there. I was actually in my final year and final semester of school, whereas everyone else that I was making friends with were really like their first year, first you know, second year of school. Um, and so there's this, this, a little bit of a weird disconnect, right? And and I was I was really trying to. I was like, I I'm ready to be done school. I want to get into something. And so when I was in Hong Kong, I, I spent a lot less time at school and in the classroom and a lot more time uh, chasing the entrepreneurial journey. So going and attending tech meetups, uh, grabbing coffees with with entrepreneurs and, and people in the tech space. This is back in 2013. So kind of like the golden year of, of when startups became really popular. Yeah. Uh, and and I ended up landing an internship uh, and the internship was at private sales.hk, which, which was like a flash sales site for um, uh, luxury goods. Uh, so think you're, you're Louis V and um, yeah. Bottega Veneta and yeah, yeah, et cetera. Uh, and, and it really was, you know, a bit of like a business development role, um, a bit of a everything role trying to get this thing off the ground. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was super fun. It made me realize, uh, I think it, it it helped me realize like the some of the imposter syndrome that I had back then, and of course, imposter syndrome uh, definitely follows you as you go along. But made me realize, hey, you know, Tate, like you got some business ideas, and uh, you're you're seeing the underbelly of like what a startup looks like. You can totally do this. Like like you can you can do this, and you can probably do it better. Um, and so I think that was a a good confidence booster in the early day for like, hey, let let's make Zayzun in, into a reality. Interesting. And so you said make Zazen in reality. So tell me how you went from working in a startup in Hong Kong to being Calgary and starting Zazen. Certainly. Zazen was an idea that I'd had uh, a couple of years prior. Um, now, it, it wasn't officially uh, Zazen until Hong Kong. And actually, the, the name Zazen was a domain placeholder. It was the, the last name of one of my professors. And it was a domain placeholder that um, just never changged. So <laughs> fun, fun little fact there. Um, but, but the idea had been percolating in my head for, for a couple few years prior. Uh, and so 
it, it really took hold in Hong Kong. And when I when I left um, at the time, I, I was dating a, a girl from Calgary. Um, we had met at university in Victoria. And so when I came back to Canada, it was like, all right, let's move to Calgary. Um, yeah. Let's go to your hometown. And uh, had this idea percolating and um, met up with a couple other entrepreneurs in Calgary. Uh, and, and we made that idea a reality, right? So um, it took it took a little bit, like moving to Calgary. I think that was in February of 2014. Met this other group of entrepreneurs in 20, uh, or sorry, in, in kind of mid-2014. And then uh, brainstormed brainstormed what what would become you know Zay Zoon and, and got an MVP into market, raised some money and, and went from there. Okay. Well, I wanna I wanna break that down because you just yeah. sort of glossed over the start, right? So you brainstorm. So what does that mean? Because you know, there's lots of you you read online and you hear from podcasts, all sorts of different ways to start your startup. So what do you brainstorm and how did you know to brainstorm and how do you know choose Zay Zoon the idea to start? Sure. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I guess that was a bit of a gloss over. So maybe maybe taking a step back, um, when I was 16, I did my first second mortgage, uh, which is you know fancy term for someone couldn't get a mortgage from a financial institution. And so I gave them a, a subprime mortgage off of my own balance sheet. Uh, a year later, I got a, a check back with interest. And I thought, wow, this is this is a pretty cool way to make money. And thankfully, I was working in the fishing industry on Vancouver Island at the time uh, and, and making way more money than, than a 14, 15, 16-year-old should. And so it, that, that's what kind of gave me that little nest egg that I could then lend out. Uh, after getting that mortgage payment back, I went crazy, man. I, I, I put an ad up on Craigslist. Uh, I started giving money to, to anyone that I thought was, was um, you know, responsible enough to, to accept it. And so between the ages 16 and 23, I lent out a little over a quarter million dollars in my own funds in, in which were effectively small dollar short-term loans. And the, the, this is sort of how, how the ideation for Zazun came about, which was like, I'm looking at all these people requiring financial flexibility. And I'm wondering like, why? Like, like don't, yeah. don't you have solutions available to you? And, and the short answer is like, they do, but they're not very good. Uh, payday loans, overdraft fees are, are sort of the, the main ones that come to mind when someone needs short-term liquidity. And payday loans were really interesting to me because, you know, payday loans have this really bad rap in, 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 in the media. Uh, and it's because they charge so much to the end consumer. But when you actually break it down, they're not necessarily making money hand over fist, right? Yeah. Like they have old school administrative practices, paper and pen. They are brick and mortar. They've they've been laggards in the online world. And they have super high default rates that basically wipe out the majority of their revenue. And so, or the majority of their profit, I should say. So Zazun was like, how can we provide that same utility of short-term cash flow uh, to, to people? But how can we do so in a really responsible way? And so the the brainstorming was really around like, uh, can we partner with employers? Can we partner with payroll companies? Can we leverage that real time stream of data and understanding of an employee's hours to ultimately extend them cash that they've already earned but just haven't yet been paid for? And so that's really what the brainstorming was. And then hmm. it sort of takes 
hold in in the form of like, okay, well, what does the market look like? Like if, if we do want to do this, would employers actually be interested in this? Okay, let's go talk to a dozen employers and see. Oh, wow. In fact, employers are doing cash advances for their employees. Okay, check the box on that one. Um, what about payroll companies? Like, would they be interested in this? Is this a compliment to their service, et cetera, et cetera. And so a, a lot of it is just, I think, you know, discovery phase of, of like research and, and, and pulling on threads, right? I, I love that statement where you just continually pull on threads. You're super curious. You don't necessarily know what the outcome is going to be, but you know that if you have this vision in your mind of, hey, I want to solve a problem for a subset of people that are living paycheck to paycheck and I want to do it, yes. I think by way of giving them access to short-term liquidity, I'm just going to keep pulling until I find the answer, right? And so that's sort of how how Zazian started. So just one follow-up question there. How do you know which threads to pull on? Because in your early days, you have this hypothesis of what you want to do. You're trying to experiment. And there's like probably at any given point, imagine five or 10 threads that look interesting. So how do you know which ones to pull on? And how do you know what to incorporate into your, you know, your business model, your product? Because there's a lot, you know, still just you know it's, it's research or maybe it's not it, it certainly is um it's, it's a component of research it's a component of of just doing things and and seeing what sticks man like this is this is the question right uh and and even at, at zazian's stage now so so fast forward to today um we're, we're over 100 employees uh we're available to over 10,000 businesses across the US that, that offer our service to their employees as a benefit. Um, and, and, and this is literally a topic that I, I try to wrap my head around in a tactical sense all the time, because you're continually going zero to one, like you are going zero to one with new products, uh, new launches, um, whatever it might be. And so like I talk with the product team about like, how, how do you define zero to one? How do you find that fine line between going down too many rabbit holes and losing focus while also ensuring that you go down enough rabbit holes where you get the information you're seeking um you can pull on enough threads to really form like a hypothesis so i, I don't know what the answer is man but like er, early stage for me like just just to maybe paint paint yeah. the picture more broad like i went and talked to Pawn, pawn shops. I went and talked to payday lenders. I talked to peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, you know, peer-to-peer -peer lending was, was a thing that was just launching at the time. I went and talked with other fintech entrepreneurs. Um, I talked to like everyone I could, but you're right. It's, it's a limbo between analysis paralysis and capture of information while also just putting something out there and then seeing what sticks and iterating on it. So I don't know what that perfect perfect balance is, but I think that's really the crux, honestly, of, of building a business. I, I like that. Um, going to take a bit different direction, a bit different questions right now. I want to know about your, you know, how you built the team and what's important to you. So maybe start with like, how do you find your co-founders? Who are you brainstorming with and how do you know they're the right people or how do you find them? When I moved to Calgary, I knew that I wanted to take this idea that I had and turn it into uh, a scalable business that was you know, going to execute on a mission of, of uh, being a, a socially responsible, you know, financial company for, for, for people. But I also wanted to execute on a business that was ultimately going to, you know, grow and, and, and return a, a bunch of money to me and, and anyone involved in it. Right. 
and so I had connected with a, a, a mentor, Casper um, Wong, who's who's a fellow Toronto Torontorian. What, what's Torontonian, the I think it's Torontonian. Torontonian. Yeah. Uh, connected with Casper when when I was in university. And Casper, for those that don't know, is a, a he's the president of um, Finance It, which is a, a large uh, POS financing company out of Toronto. Um, but but Casper, when I moved to Calgary, I said, Casper, like, do you have any contacts in Calgary that can help me make this idea a reality? And he goes, you know, I, I know of this one guy named Darcy. Uh, he's he's you know in the tech space. Maybe he can help be a mentor boots on the ground for you in Calgary. And so I went and met Darcy and told him the idea. And uh, we riffed back and forth over, over a couple of weeks. And uh, in parallel, I'd created a relationship with a payroll company. Uh, and I, I said to Darcy, man, hop on a plane with me, come visit this payroll company. Like, let's go sit in their office. You can feel the energy. You can, you can feel like what they think of this idea. Um, and, and sort of this thesis that, that, that I had, right. Darcy's like, all right, man, like, let, let's do it. And so him and I fly out together. Um, cause during this time he, he, he was part of a, another company that he founded. Right. So yeah. he was, um, it, he would have had to go through the process of exiting that. Uh, and so we, we flew out, we visited this payroll company and the next morning he calls me up and he's like, holy shit, man, there, there's something here. Uh, and so you know, obviously the process of him exiting was was already uh, in flight, but I think it accelerated um, both that exit and then his entrance into Zazun. And so that was how, how Darcy and I got together. Uh, and then uh, our, our third co-founder, uh, Jamie, who's, who's our CFO, uh, he came by way of a startup event uh, a couple of years later. Interesting. And then you talked about like, well, like, you know, you know, social aspect and i think you call it wellness like so why is wellness important what does wellness mean wellness for zazen means a few things uh for, first of all our, our mission is to save 10 million employees 10 billion dollars uh and and we're going to execute on that by a number of ways uh but i think that the thin edge of the wedge is really this this product called earned wage access that we have that again gives employees access to their pay prior to the regularly scheduled payday, right? Um, and, and that helps save employees money. Uh, we know it helps save them about $700 a year because of um, the, the savings that they have from previous payday loan usage, overdraft usage, uh, banking fees, et cetera. So that's really cool. We're saving them money in, in that regard. What are other products that we can layer on uh, and, and, and help save them money further? So. Um, we think of ourselves from a customer perspective is, yeah, like what else can we do responsibly to increase the financial well-being or, or wellness of our customers? Uh, internally, though, like that doesn't work unless you have a team that is yeah. also following like 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 that is also in it uh, and, 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 and well. Right. Uh, and so we're super focused on that. Um, we, we quantitatively know that, you know, we, we're doing a good job. Uh, we do ENPS each and every quarter. For those that don't know, EMPS is a, a scale of negative uh, 100 to positive 100. Um, Apple and Nike are somewhere in the, the 30 range. Uh, for context, uh, Zazun's last quarterly EMPS was an 82. 
and, and so and the ENPS is an internal employee one because he's because it's net promoter score for your employees, right? Exactly. Yeah. So how 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 willing would they be to to recommend Zazun as a place to work um, to, to family and friends, right? Uh, as as a gauge of of you know they're they're into it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and so so yeah, like like we we do a, we do a lot of things. I think it's it's super cliche, but like communication is is super key. Um, that communication manifests itself in, in a number of ways. Uh, at 110 people, every single morning for 15 minutes, we have every single person on a on a scrum. Uh, okay. So that sounds like you know chaos. Um, we do it very very well, and that doesn't mean every single person is is talking about specific things that they're doing that day. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone's talking. It means that you know a couple of key people are talking, but it helps continually align our people with what they're doing on a daily basis to the quarterly, annual, and, and you know, beyond initiatives um, and the broader mission of the company. So I think that's like one example of how we, you know, ultimately create that sense of um, ownership and connection to the mission and uh, sense of like agency and, and what you're doing is important, which ultimately I believe like is, is that, that key important piece for, for employee wellness. And just a quick question, is your team distributed or all in Calgary? Yeah, we're, we're distributed. Uh, yeah. So we, we have 30 or so in Calgary, um, of which, you know, only a handful come into the office. Uh, the, the rest are distributed. So yeah, we're very much so a, a remote first company. So, so a couple of questions about that and the wellness aspect. One is you're doing the scrum. So imagine a distributed team. I don't think you have people in Asia from what I know, but like imagine it's still quite a few time zones and people working from different locations. So like, how do you do it? Like, that's always a challenge for me is like, how do you get that right time of day for everyone? Cause you know, you don't want someone like dialing in and they're like the kids in the background, they're serving them dinner, you know, cause they'd be distracted. So like, how do you, so a, like just that simple touch point, how do you make sure that works? And then B, how do you get that sense of community and wellness? Cause you are very, like, sounds like you're very mission driven. You're trying to get everyone. So how do you make up for not being in person? Cause maybe I'm just old. But I think it's it's still like I think we it's still a challenge I find is you know four years after everyone went remote or distributed it's still challenging to get all this buy in and make that sense of wellness. Sure. So yeah, I mean, really good questions, and it's something that I, I guess is like a continual process, um, yeah. and, and you continually tweak. But um, you know, tactically, we're Mountain Standard Time. We host our scrums every morning for fifteen minutes at nine a.m. Uh, and so we found that that accommodates Eastern and, and Pacific uh, quite well. Um, other things we do. So, so again, like trying to really uh, distill the mission and vision of where we're going and bring that down to an annual level, uh, a quarterly level, a monthly level and, and, you know, into the day to day. And so I think that helps keep people, uh, it helps keep people excited. It helps keep people empowered uh, in what we're doing is important. What they are doing is important. It, it reflects their activity to to um, to a broader purpose. Uh, so I think that's very important from a from a distributed standpoint, remote standpoint, or you know even in office. Other things we do is uh, we do these things called drink and thinks. So uh, and we, we we relate everything. Sorry, I'll say like we relate everything to our core values as well, right? So yeah. we continually ensure that. Uh, when we're giving shout outs to people, we're, we're giving that shout out, not just, Hey, great. You did something and you worked hard. We're giving that shout out in relation to our core value of 
people driven or mastery. And we're saying, you know, what they did and why was that actually important to the company? And so we're mm -hmm. continually bringing, bringing it back to, to the purpose of the company. Um, we do drink and things to, to help flex our core value of mastery, uh, which is, you know, a thirst for knowledge and improvement. Um, so every single Friday, either we bring in an external guest to talk about a, a subject of, of kind of interest to the broader team, uh, or we have someone in the team talk about a subject that is interesting to them. One that stands out to me, for example, is, is Yuval is, is our, our VP of technology. He's super into Lego. He has like 15,000 followers on Instagram for this Lego account that he has. Uh, and so we talked to our team about building Lego and his passion for it. And he kind of related that to, to development and whatnot, but that was, you know, secondary. And so I think stuff like that helps build a trusted environment. It helps build an environment of learning and challenging. Um, last thing I would say is we still do in-person activity, right? So uh, we will have different parts of the org, different functions in the org come together for offsites. Uh, the product team will fly in and do a couple day offsite together, um, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And then we host an annual offsite for the entire team. So this year it was just over a month ago in Scottsdale, Arizona, where we have a little pocket of employees as well. Uh, we brought, we flew in 85 people to that and yeah. we just had a three day, you know, amazing offsite of, of really doubling down on, on building trust, um, really digging into the business and kind of cross-functional workings there. Uh, and most importantly, like having a ton of fun. Yeah. So it sounds like, I love it. You, you have a focus on wellness for your customers, for your employees, you have ways to get people understand the mission. So let's talk a bit about the actual customers and business, right? Um, you, you know, you, you compete in the earned wage access space, which feels like has gone on, you know, over a revolution over the last five to seven years, if not over a bit longer, how have you, what's different about your approach and like your go to market and what are the insights that allow you to be what you seem to be like one of the leaders like how have you gone there like talk about your go-to-market talk about what insights led to breakthroughs and how you got to where you are today man so earned wage access yeah you're right like it's 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 hyped out right now at least yeah being being in it it feels very hyped out and i i think um and not, not in a bad way either like I, I think it's finally getting the recognition that it deserves um but but yeah like we we uh we had a thesis, what, eight, nine years ago that we would partner with payroll companies and we would use them as a channel to the business, which would ultimately unlock the employee for us. So we, we chose the hardest go-to-market strategy ever, right? We're, we're like, we're B to B to B to C effectively. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think like early days, you just kind of, we, we knew that that was intuitively the right way to go about it, but you start to see other earned wage access players come into the market and they surpass you because you go knock on a couple of doors, you get a couple of clients. Um, you can very quickly scale up your revenues. And for us, it was very much like a long tail approach to it. It was all right. Let's, let's gather up these partnerships. Then let's activate the employers underneath them. And then let's have the employees, you know, adopt us, hopefully adopt us. Um, and so it was a long, long tail approach, but it's all started to pay off in the last two, two and a half years where 
we're seeing, you know, and, and thank you for the compliment. Like, yeah, we're, 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 we're leading the charge in earned wage access for the small and mid-sized market. Um, so specifically we, we target employers, a couple thousand employees and, and under, right. Um, yeah. and, and that, that original thesis that we had of really creating that relationship, that strong relationship with the payroll company has helped us execute on that. Um, and, and we're, we're starting to see that exponential lift because of it. So it's just to double down that, like you had a unique insight about the distribution, go to market. Right. And you said like, it, I don't think any of your competitors have gone there, like, but early days, it felt like, you know, you, you built the, you had to lay the foundation and figure out how to get the B working, the second B to working and the third, and then eventually the C. How did, you know, stay true to your path when you saw competitors getting more, um, let's say, love or awareness or attention? Like, how do you know, what were the signs that you had the right approach? Looking back, it's easy to say, yo, like this yeah. was our thesis and, and, and like we stayed true to it and stuck to it. Um, and we did, but I think a lot of it was actually out of like naivety. Um, hmm. so, so, so for, for example, I, I remember being in, in a board meeting uh, earlier days, uh, maybe like four years ago. And we were like, oh yeah, we signed up, you know, X amount more payroll companies and we captured this much more of the market. And one of our board members was like, cool, but like, you say you sign up payroll companies every month. What's that actually doing for you? Like, like, <laughs> where, where, like, like, like you guys are- Where's so the money? You guys, you guys are so obsessed with this metric, but like, great. What's it actually done for you? And I mean, kind of looked at each other and we're like, oh yeah, shit. Like, like it seems so obvious in hindsight. You're like, yeah, of course it's not translating to revenue, but in the moment you're just so excited because you think that that's, you're doing the right thing. Um, and you think that like you're on the right path. And then we realize, like, oh yeah, no, we, we got to start actually doing the downstream effects of, of this funnel, right? We need to start activating the other, other parts of this funnel. And so that comment in particular, I think was a really good wake up call for us, um, where we did start focusing more on the employer uh, and employee. And so it wasn't just like, hey, here's our staffing plan for the next year. It's, you know, five business development people. It's like, no, actually um, we're, we're gonna keep our business development where it is. We're gonna keep adding payroll partners every month, but all the staffing that we're gonna do is actually on the, on the sales side of things like the channel sales employer sales um side of things and so i think like again that was like a good turning point for us um but like hindsight's 2020 when you're when you're in it yeah. you're just like you focus on the wrong metrics I'm, i mean i'm sure you see that all the time with startups where at a thirty thousand foot view you can kind of poke in and go guys you guys are focusing on the wrong thing uh but if you didn't say that or or you know like they might have focused on that wrong thing for too long and eventually the money would have dried up or the sales wouldn't have come or whatever else. Right. Uh, so, so we, we were fortunate, I think, to, to have that balance, um, you know, early enough. Interesting. And then just one question more about getting to where you are today is, was there one big breakthrough or inflection point once you had that insight or was it a bunch of fine tuning and lessons? Like, you know, how, you know, how did you get everything to work? it's it's been more fine tuning and optimization than i would like 
when we look at the market and what's available, uh, the amount of you know small businesses that exist, the amount of people in America that the sixty three percent plus that live paycheck to paycheck, it, it, there, there's no reason why you know is it, we're, we're doing great and and um, we just closed a, a big Series B and we'll get to um, that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but like, there's no reason why we shouldn't be 20 times the size we are, um, yeah. it, right? Or or, or bigger. Uh, and so there's always been that like intuitive disconnect for me. Um, and so, you know, un unfortunately, the the place, the space that we're playing in, though, uh, we we are dealing with a lot of like mom and pop shops, uh, unsophisticated, um, you know, businesses that aren't leveraging a bunch of technology. Building awareness is tough. And so for one business, maybe putting posters in the lunchroom is what captures that employee's attention. And for the next business, they have a full on, uh, you know, Slack-esque type, uh, type solution where you can communicate electronically. And so it's a lot of just like inserting ourselves into the communication process and awareness process where we can to try to get that adoption at, at the end state. But unfortunately, that doesn't really follow a super you know, baked playbook, right? Um, and it's yeah. not a replicable playbook. And so I think by nature of that, at least to the size that we've gotten to today, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of optimization. Now, I think as we get bigger and we have more functions and individuals that are focused on less and less, you can start to really dive into some of those specific growth areas uh, and, and double down. And then you know, you've got, let's say your core product, which is basically earn wage access, but you're, you have a focus on wellness for your customers as well. So what, you know, other than, you know, you provide, you know, access to the cash a bit ahead of time, what else are you doing to help the, your end customers get better, you know, on the wellness front or what initiatives do you have planned? Certainly I, I would, I would say, um, you know, I personally look at wellness as this overarching umbrella of, of an outcome that we're trying to achieve and the various products inclus inclusive of earned wage access are things that help us achieve this wellness for our, for our customers. Right. Um, now, I, I, I think more often than not, though, um, and, and, you know, uh, to, to your point, I think wellness is always looked at as this separate product suite. Maybe it's the education component. Maybe it's whatever else. Um, but I definitely view it as, as this overarching thing, uh, just, just to kind of, yeah, put, put, put a, put a fine point on it. Um, that being said, you're, you're absolutely right. Like there's other products that we offer today and there's other products that we want to offer in the future to help increase the wellness of our customers, the financial wellness of our customers. So we have an education suite today. Um, there's courses, there's calculators, um, and different tools that, uh, employees can use to, to kind of, um, better their literacy of, of the financial world. We have uh, uh, actual ways that employees can take their money um, that isn't just to their bank account, but it's, for example, we have a gift card solution. Employees can take their pay early in the form of a gift card, and that gift card actually has a bonus attached to it. So it's effectively a way for our customers on average to receive you know, 6% cash back on, on their paychecks, which is really cool. Um, we have, uh, different perks. So we, we, we learned, uh, through surveys and, and whatnot to our customers that 70% of them own a car, uh, which is, you know, great. Um, 
but they're also over overpaying on insurance. And so we introduced an affiliate product that allows customers to on average save, I believe it's a little over $600 on annual car insurance premiums. Um, so these are all, you know, little areas that, that we dabble in. Um, but ultimately what, what we're, what we're doing is we're trying to um, really establish what the key pain points and problems that our customers experience and how does that lead into the, the next major product initiatives uh, that, that we offer to them to, to help solve those. Right. Um, and, and lead to that, you know, overarching goal of, of saving them more money um, and making them more financially well off than, than when they first, when we first found them. Cool. Um, let's talk about that big raise you mentioned. So tell me the details of it, you know, that, that B round. Yeah, man. Uh, it was cool. So for, for context, we, we've raised, uh, we've raised a little over 50 million in equity now. Um, and of course, Congratulations. thank you. Yeah. And, and, and of course, there's, there's a bunch of, of debt that we've raised separately to actually fund these, yeah. uh, these, these payouts that employees take. Um, so, so maybe, yeah, we, we don't need to touch on that piece, but on the equity component, uh, you know, being Calgary based, um, both my co-founders have strong ties to the oil and gas space. Uh, Calgary is interesting because it's, there's a lot of money here, uh, kind of sitting on the sidelines and not necessarily knowing where to go. And I think Zay Zoon was, was fortunate enough to unlock a lot of that capital. Our first 25 and a half million, uh, or, or a little bit more, um, 30 million call it came from the oil and gas high net worth individuals and family offices. And to me, that is just so cool. Uh, but, but it's also, you know, we were effectively angel and, and family office, uh, funded until this most recent round. And so what was really neat about this last round that we raised is, uh, it, it's, it, we raised it through framework, uh, framework venture partners is yeah. a, a, a Toronto based, uh, VC, and they are just, we, we couldn't be happier. Um, they, they, they are so, so incredible, so thoughtful, um, so collaborative and uh, very much like mission driven and core value driven, uh, you know, aligned with, with, with us. Um, and what we're excited about and what we've already seen with them is, is just like that, you know, I mean, you know this, Alex, like VCs see, so many opportunities and it allows them to elevate and have this 30,000 foot view of not just the fintech landscape, but the entire landscape and how everything plays together and how the macro economy looks and um, what you need for the next raise and, and what, um, you know, when the next raise makes the most sense, there's a thousand things that, that they know super well. And we're seeing that um, come through in, in the meetings with them and the conversations we're having and, uh, it's just leveling us up as a team. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that's really cool. And as well, it's, it's elevated the status of Zayzun as well. Like it's, it's elevated hmm. the status for hiring. Um, we're now a, for better, or for worse, you know, I think it's better for all the things I just said, but we're now a VC backed company. Uh, and, and not only that, it's a VC backed company in the time of, you know, when not a lot of other companies yeah. are getting VC dollars. And so, so, so for us, it's helped a lot. What? Yeah. How did that round come together? Because you know, I've I've tracked your you for a while now, and you've been you know, and, 
think an amazing, you know, Zazun in particular has been an amazing story, especially like you said, it was local capital. And I think that, you know, from my perspective as an outsider, the transition from local capital to a fund um, is always hard. And it's particularly hard when you're not in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, and in an area that Americans think they've got solved. So how did you, you pull this round together in a very difficult funding environment? So what do you think led to your ability to pull this relatively large round together? And any advice that any takeaways for founders that are listening to this? So there, there, there's a, a few things. Uh, first, you know, we, we, we pulled the round together, um, but we had been in contact with VCs and, you know, framework in particular for the previous five years. Right. So, so I first met with framework, uh, yeah, five years ago. Um, and, and Darcy, Jamie and I all take turns doing our, our monthly stakeholder updates, but, yeah. um, th these monthly stakeholder updates hit frameworks inbox every single month for the last five years and every single month or every single year, look back, they're able to say, oh, wow, these guys did exactly what they said they were going to do. And so I think that is very powerful. <clears throat> um, I think the other thing that's really helped us is we've been a company that has since day one focused on building a good business. Um, we focused on the, the unit economics and, and the fundamentals of a business. And in times of rapid growth and when maybe other metrics mattered, we weren't the hot company. Um, yeah. Markets shifted a bit, though, and, and, and that's a sort bit. of yeah, a bit. And, and it's elevated some of those metrics for us. Uh, and so I think we became super attractive because of that. Um, the last thing is, is like, just, just generally, we, we achieved a lot of scale in the last two years. Um, yeah. And so by nature of that, it, it sort of opens up uh, a lot of the, the VC market to you. Um, you know, like, like the most common, I, I, I think the most common sort of objection from VCs to, to founders is like, yeah, you're too early. And, and too early can sometimes mean I'm not into you um, yeah. and I think your idea sucks, but it can also, <laughs> it can also literally just mean, you know, you're too early or you haven't proved this out enough or whatever else. And so I think for us, like we, we just proved it out and, and the timing opportunity uh, market, everything aligned really, really well for us. Um, and so that, that, that's how it came together. Uh, hopefully that gives some, some clarity and context. <laughs> Any, any advice you give for someone found out that wants to go raise in the next three to six months, you know, other than keep your chin up? Uh, you know, the, the advice that I would have is, is all the things that we did poorly, um, which was, you know, having a really strong narrative of how a dollar in produces $5 out. Um, your, your, your data practice probably isn't mature. Ours wasn't and, and still isn't. Um, but, you know, bridging data and intuition and gut feel, all those things together build a really solid narrative of, hey, Mr. And Mrs. VC, if you give us dollars, this is how we're going to provide you a return. Um, and that seems very simple, but I know that that's somewhere that we struggled and you, sure. we ended up convoluting the conversation by trying to take them through this long journey and showing them different charts and different calculations, et cetera, et cetera. VCs just want, they're, they're looking for a reason to say no. And so give them all the reasons to say yes. And like a confusing narrative isn't one of those. Um, and so I, I think like that, that's one of, one of the things. Uh, the other thing is like, you know, 
I don't know how you do it in, in a three month time frame, but like show that capital efficiency and, and, yeah. and capital constraint. Um, well, hopefully yeah. you have it already, right? Like totally. historically, totally. right? Again, you're not going to have it as a pre-seed, but if you're raising an A or B, hopefully you've shown some of that. So what does 2024 look like for you guys? 2024 for us is a lot of just one foot in front of the other. Um, and I know, I know that sounds boring, but uh, it is it is like taking this growth engine that we've developed over, you know, really over the last two years, three years, and it is pouring all this fuel on that fire. Um, in concert with that, it's it's taking some of the dollars that we've got. And, and quite frankly, you know, even though we, we raised um, uh, a decent amount in the past, um, and, you know, I'd argue that it's not a decent amount for where we're at as a company and the revenues that we produce and everything else. But um, in, in just an aggregate dollar amount, it's, it, it's a lot. Uh, we, we raise that in chunks, right? Um, we raise that in, in, in many, many angel chunks. And so we were historically very cash strapped and didn't focus on uh, a lot of the longer horizon things that you pointed to, like, like how do we really double and triple down on that employee wellness piece? Um, and so I'm excited this year to like, yeah, one foot in front of the other on the, on the sales and growth piece and, and all the activities of marketing and product led growth that lead into that. But I'm also excited to execute on some of the broader product visions that, you know, might not actually provide returns for us for another two years, three years. So, so I got to ask, are you hiring right now? And we're hiring a lot. Uh, so what, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll add, we'll add, uh, 70 people over the next year. Um, if not a little bit more, uh, and, I, I'm, I'm saying 70 conservatively because we're still, uh, we're going through our 2024 budgeting process right now. And we all got to get aligned on, on what that burn looks like, but yeah, man, we're, we're, we're hiring for 70 people, uh, all across Canada and the U S, um, lots in, in development, product marketing, uh, and, and say, I mean, everywhere. Right. Um, I think the, the main areas that I outline is, um, our finance function, uh, we, we, we need people in there like crazy. So, if you know, accountants, if you know, um, analysts, uh, if you know, uh, on the development side of things, individuals that, that can play, uh, we, we need that bad. And if someone, you know, we'll put a link to your job or, you know, your job section on your website, but if anyone else wants to know more and more about you, what's the best way to, or about the opportunities, what's the best way to find out more? Uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm, I'm super active. Uh, so Tate Hackert on LinkedIn and, and Tate Hackert on Twitter as well. Um, but yeah, very, very, send me a message. I'll send the message back uh, and, and always down to, to chat. And then one thing, two more questions, because you've been very generous with your time. One is, you know, you're, you're Calgary and I know on, on your social media, you're very, like you say, long Calgary. So for people outside of Calgary, why are you long Calgary and what's, what's exciting out there? Oh man. Okay. So long Calgary. It's funny because I've been in Calgary now for nine years and nine, 10 years. Um, More and than five. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been here long enough. And it wasn't until three weeks ago that I got an Alberta driver's license. I had a BC license this entire time. Um, I have been so tied to BC and Calgary to me was like a function of, uh, I have a business here, but you know, I'm going to go back and forth a little bit. Um, and Calgary is never really going to be home. And, you know, there's, there's a couple things that changed in the last 
year. First of all, Calgary is such a sick city now. Um, they've done a ton in the last couple of years to to bring like the culture and vibrancy to the city, and uh, and quite honestly, just people. Um, the downtown residential core is 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 yeah, just like happening now. Um, so that's been really nice. The other thing is uh, my, my my girlfriend of six years now. Um, her and I uh, met in Calgary, but her and I said to each other at the beginning of this year, the end of last year, like, hey, we just need to say that we're all in on Calgary. Like we just need to decide, um, let's buy a condo here. Let's stop renting a furnished apartment, um, which I did for nine years. Uh, let's actually buy a place. Let's actually like get involved in, in, in group activities. Um, let's do all these things that we're, we're not doing that we should be. And let's actually like take a good approach to this city rather than kind of sulking about the fact that we're here. Um, and it sounds so silly because Calgary is beautiful, but that mindset shift um, and just like embracing the city made all the difference. And so all that to say, uh, yeah. long, long, long story short, I guess, um, or long story longer, Long Calgary is an initiative that uh, really came about randomly. But a couple months ago, uh, I decided to, to, you know what, I'm going to throw a, an event. I'm going to bring together all of the oil and gas network that I've done such such a great job, or Zazun's done such a great job of fostering over the last number of years. I'm going to bring them together uh, along with entrepreneurs in the community and try to really um, elevate the, the space um, uh, and, and the ecosystem of technology and, and creators uh, in, in Calgary. And so Long Calgary is now a series of uh, early stage, late stage and operator lunches uh, that I host in sponsorship with with our, our legal counsel. Um, and uh, uh, um, it's also a, 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 you know, we'll see what happens in the coming little while, but um, there's there's probably a, a bit of an investment uh, arm that comes with it too. Excellent, I like that. We need more capital being deployed in this country. Um, I think those are the questions I have for today. I could probably ask you another two to three hours of questions, but you've been generous with your time. So thank you so much for joining us, Tate. Um, for people listening to us, if you found this interesting, I ask two things. One is you can forward this podcast to a friend. The second thing is wherever you listen to the podcast, and just go and add a review and tell us why it's interesting. Let's help more people hear from Tate and the other great Canadian founders. Thank you for your time. And Tate, thank you for joining us. Amazing. Thanks, man. That was fun.